0: Hello, welcome to today's episode of juicing the numbers Your statistics and sports podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy,
1: and I am one of your hosts, Corwin Eller.
0: <laughs> and uh, we got a, We got another interview for you today, another discussion for you today. Uh, we're talking with uh, Randy Wilkins. Uh, he is a contributor to the views from 314 feet uh, podcast and blog website. Uh, he is a filmmaker. He's an editor, he's a director, um, three-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker. Um, We're going to talk about the thing we always talk about. We're going to complain about baseball, uh, getting a little bit of a different perspective from Randy's eyes, a guy who um, has made content with MLB before, a guy who knows people who works at MLB. Um, So we're really excited for you guys to hear this talk. Um, We'll also uh, be at the beginning of it talking about uh the bronx just a little bit a little bit josh hat number three my (laughs) my the bronx hat corwin talks about his tatis jersey that he is wearing that he is not wearing at the beginning of the interview slightly out of order um you'll
1: have to watch and find out
0: stay tuned baby uh but that conversation is right here so here we go This week, we are joined by uh, a multi-Emmy-winning filmmaker, uh, director of uh, American Noir, uh, Jackie Robinson, for us to remember, uh, the ESPN 30 for 30, 86 to 32, um, one of the best Yankee rants people on Twitter, uh, (laughs) real-life Bronxite uh, Randy Wilkins.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I don't know if I would call them all rants, but yeah, definitely have some opinions on things for sure.
0: What Real quick, where, where in the Bronx are you from?
2: Uh from Parkchester.
0: My, uh, my family is from the Bronx. So I have like a, a, uh, I feel a little bit of heritage towards it, even though I can't, like, I don't claim it as my own. Uh, they're from, uh, they grew up on uh, Bronx Park East by mm-hmm. Pelham Parkway. Yeah, uh, I used to go there a bunch when I was a kid. So I have, I'm wearing my my little Bronx hat. I I feel a little bit of kinship to it. So I love hearing where everyone else is from and, you know, what their towns are like.
2: Yeah, I was pretty, pretty close to um, Pelham Parkway, uh, maybe like 15, 20 minutes away. So, you know, pretty close vicinity to where your family is or was. Yeah,
0: now they're, now they're in Livingston with all the other old Jews. That's where they all go. Yeah. I
1: walked through the Bronx with Josh for like half an hour one time, a couple years ago. So I'm right there with you guys. Just, you know, I call it home. It's, you know, yeah. where I feel comfortable.
2: Makes sense. Totally. That's your yeah. uh, defining experience for, for maybe your entire life, maybe. Josh, you
1: learned,
0: learned everything he's got to know.
1: Was yeah. that the same trip that you uh, or that we went like? I don't know, 80 blocks, like traveled for like 13 hours to go to Katz's, or is that a different trip to Yankee State? That might be
0: the same trip. I don't remember. Ooh, okay. But anyway.
1: <laughs> anyway, no, no we, we are stories, here. This, this podcast we're here,
0: Yeah, we, we we go down memory lane a lot. We we are here to talk about one of the pervasive topics on this podcast, which is baseball's inability or what baseball can be doing better to help grow the sport um, by I guess kind of whatever means you think is most appropriate. Baseball has often felt like it has all the infrastructure around it to grow and expand and be more inclusive and, and far-reaching entertainment experience or, or community aspect than it ever really cares about being, um, which is one of the most infuriating parts about being a fan because you see all the room. That the sport has and the market has to be bigger and to be more on the forefront of conversations and industry, and then it never quite gets there. Whether it's because they just don't care enough, or whether because it costs money and they don't want to do that. Um, so let me let me start with this, Randy. When someone says uh, talks about growing the game of baseball, what does what does it immediately mean? To you, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
2: Um, It's a little bit more complicated in my head because I'm not really sure what people always mean by growing the game. So is it really about um, exposure to a larger, more global audience? Is it connecting more with domestic fans? Is it more going along the lines of uh, how the NBA and NFL, or really the NBA markets its stars, you know, is it accessibility? So I think it's a, a more complicated question than that. So I guess my, depending on the time of day or what day it is, my mind will go in different directions. So, you know, growing a game to me can be, you know, are you, is the game present in countries that it hasn't been in, uh, in previous times? Does it mean that we have to do a better job or they have to do a better job of promoting their young stars? Does it mean that it's an effort to get more uh, black American players into the game? So there isn't one thing that it really goes to. I think that there, there are a lot of things that MLB needs to do to improve their product, both uh, accessibility wise, marketing wise, the quality of the game itself. You know what I mean? So. It, it, it really just depends on what, what day you ask me that. So like for today, I mean, for me, it's, it's really just, I'm really thinking a lot about access to the game, you know, and, and when you think about, let's just say the number, the declining number of black players, for me, it's not just how do you get like a couple more programs or like throw some money at a problem is, are you willing to, address the larger systemic issues that come along with that decline in black players in the game. You know what I mean? It's not just uh, kids aren't playing baseball because that's not true. Like there are plenty of black kids in America playing baseball that love the game that um, are good at the game, but a lot of it comes down to larger systemic issues that, that contribute to that declining uh, rate of players in the major leagues. And is MLB willing and ready to address those systemic issues, or are they just going to keep throwing short-term plans at it? So um, I know that's like a long-winded answer, but I think it's a pretty complicated question that we need to be mindful of that complexity.
0: I I think that's the, one of the things that makes this topic such a pervasive one, again, on the show and, and on Twitter in general, is that There are so many different answers to it based on which aspect you feel like, not even you feel like, which aspect you are currently addressing. MLB has race issues. MLB has issues with its own history. MLB has issues with general outreach and marketing. MLB has all types of issues that all, pace of play issues that all
2: encompass growing the game. MLB has issues with domestic violence in its game.
0: I mean, well, and, and that's going on right now, especially in, in Yankees Twitter, as we have Domingo German um, trying to rejoin a clubhouse that he's not exactly welcome in because he had uh, a domestic violence suspension because he had committed domestic violence earlier on last year. And this is something Corwin and I have, have talked about a lot. It's that MLB and a lot of sports leagues in general, this isn't necessarily specific to MLB as we see in the NFL a lot as well, um, like with Josh Brown on the Giants they don't, they, they treat domestic violence like it's doing steroids and it's not. If a guy gets busted doing steroids and he gets an 81 game suspension, he'll go back to the clubhouse and people be like, I don't agree with what he did, but he thought he needed that competitive edge. He wanted to be better. He thought like his body was breaking down, whatever, you know, it, it's seen as a little bit more on the field, still wrong, but like on, that's not domestic violence. It's completely different. And the fact that you're going to give it a suspension that is equivalent to just doing steroids. How How is that person supposed to go back into a clubhouse and have all the other players in the clubhouse look at him right? And how are the fans supposed to – how is how is a Yankees fan, a female Yankees fan or a survivor of domestic violence Yankees fan supposed to look at the Yankees on you know, Domingo Herman's start and be like, I want that man to win me a game? It's, it's an untenable situation, and that might end up turning people away, and that's part of their problem.
2: I think that also just goes back to what I was talking about regarding systems. You know, a, a lot of the reasons why those suspensions are treated equally is because there aren't women in power and influence in in the game and that the general culture towards women in MLB and in other professional sports leagues um, limits the opportunity for them to feel comfortable for them to feel free in those spaces um, and to feel safe in those spaces and there isn't enough done to make sure that women are on an equal playing field on a lot of levels you know so I mean you can look at all the issues that have come out with uh, Mickey Calloway the guy who was just fired from the Mets I mean there's there's a Jared Porter, I mean, there's a long list of these instances and one like common theme is that the women who are being victimized by these men don't even feel comfortable going to work, let alone being comfortable to share their experiences. You know what I mean? So like the fact that they don't always feel comfortable going to work or they feel going into it, they already know that they, there might be some harassment going on and that it isn't gonna be addressed, tells you that there's a systemic issue that none of these leagues are willing to address. And part of the reason why they're not willing to address is because they have the privilege of not having to deal with it. You know, like a guy, a male reporter in the locker room is not going to get harassed by a male athlete when they do, you know, when in normal times, when you could be in the locker room, you know, like it's not going to happen. So they're not going to think about it, but Women reporters have to think about it all the time. It's like almost part of the job description. Like, how are you going to handle this? And again, are these teams and is the league willing to do what's necessary to change systems? And to this point, the answer is no, because everything keeps remaining the same. So um, I think a lot of these things are addressed and improved when there's a willingness to change systemically how things work. So, like your original question, for me, always comes back to a willingness to transform things and not reinforce them. You know what I'm saying? So, like if you're continuing to reinforce it, we're going to keep asking this question. Even when it comes to the marketing of players, you know, it's not just about marketing the players, but it's about having enough players to market you know, and they're, they're not enough players to market. And part of that is because of the systems in place and how you scout teams, how players are evaluated once they get to their organizations, who actually gets a chance to get moved up in the minors, who has a chance to, like, move – to get moved up to the big league club, how are they treated when they get to the big league club. You know, a lot of that's still rooted in old systems and old attitudes. So, you know, it's it's a complicated thing that, for me – still requires a willingness to change things. And if they're not willing to change things, you, you're just going to keep reinforcing it. And you might not even realize you're doing that.
1: I know we talked about this a lot with uh, Keith McPherson, who we had on a couple weeks ago, but I think so much of the lack of progress we've seen, you know, especially lately when so many other leagues are taking these, you know, crucial steps, whether it be, you know, important first steps with, Trying to increase uh, diversity in the game, or or you know other things to promote a level of fairness that we haven't seen in the past, is MLB's mindset. Their you know their desire to increase revenue, to increase you know fan engagement, to get more people watching, doesn't involve MLB changing. It involves how can we convince people to like what we already have and what we have had. How can we get them to buy into our traditions rather than changing our traditions or changing aspects of our, you know, foundational league makeup to get more people involved, to get minorities involved, to increase the number of young kids going from, you know, playing baseball in little league, like everyone does to higher levels of baseball and getting them to commit to that. Um, And, you know, I don't want to just sit here and shit on rob manfred for six hours or gary i just got gary bettman and rob manfred confused and it took me a good 30 (laughs) seconds to figure out which one was which so welcome to the show this is how we do it here um but i just think that he is leading us or leading mlb in the right direction i shouldn't say we and it's really goes back to that just lack of desire, lack of impulse, lack of um, just wanting to change what we have and upsetting the old guard in order to get us to a better, new, fresh place.
2: Yeah, I feel like tradition is MLB's identity rather than, like, a part of his lineage. You know, it it takes up too much space, you know, and it's um, also the fact that, like, baseball is really regionalized doesn't help either. So it's hard to have a breakout star in MLB compared to other sports or other leagues because it's so regionally based and so dependent upon like you're from Chicago, so you're either a Cubs or a White Sox fan and that's it. Or you're you live in New York and you're either a Yankees or a Mets fan. And it's like, well, are you an actual baseball fan or are you a fan of those teams? You know what I mean? And it's like (laughs) When you have somebody like Tatis, he's rare because he came at the right time during the pandemic. So people were at home and they just wanted some kind of entertainment. So they were paying attention to more games. And when you see um, Tatis doing his thing, he had an opportunity to kind of like break a barrier. Now he's taking advantage of it, but that's like a rare circumstance. So tradition being a part of, uh, tradition being a part of, of that I that identity and something that MLB always goes back to is like a big a big issue.
0: Well, I and I think part of the I think part of it is that they use tradition the wrong way. And the other part of it is that they use regionality the wrong way. If if the reality of your sport is that it is highly regionalized and you have a very deep history that you like to talk about. Make that interesting. If part, of your, if part of your sport, like baseball loves to talk about its history, is the fact that you have so many, like 150-year-long lineage of players, why don't you do something creative with it? Because Corinne and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Why doesn't MLB have a players weekend where it's instead of, sorry, something akin to players weekend, where all the teams wear the uniforms of the local Negro League teams that were there before them? or at the same time as them. That idea is specific to your locale. You know, the Cubs are going to wear Chicago American Giants jerseys. And that's specific to Chicago. And it celebrates the history of the sport. It's another marketing opportunity because it's different. And you're to celebrate a history that you should be acknowledging more of, and they slowly are, as well as doing something creative and different that's going to bring people in. And they can do all types of things. Like, the thing that bothers me about the community aspect of baseball is that the stadiums and the teams don't, I think, engage enough. I would love to see like highlighted restaurants of local joints in stadiums. Now, some teams have like mainstays. You know, you can go to Kansas City's baseball park and you can get like, there will be a Kansas City branch of a restaurant there. But why not have a rotating place for Corwin, you are muted. Uh, I just got
1: that <laughs> notification. I was going to say Keith Hernandez's hot dog stand, you know, big one.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, you get places, <laughs> fuck off. you get places <laughs> like, like, like Yankee Stadium and City Field, which have, I mean, tons and tons of restaurants around them that I'm sure would love to have a week-long stay, a month-long stay, whatever it would be, at a little pop-up joint in the stadium where they could be like, hey, we're down on, you know, 159th Street, come check us out. This is what we make. And then have the Yankees promote that. It wouldn't really cost them much and they could do it for free. They should give away more tickets to uh, kids in schools during the week when they don't get a lot of attendance anyway. I mean, there's, if, if it's, they don't play to their, cause like, it was, it was really bothersome last week when um, MLB tweeted out something about comparing Tatis to LeBron, because that's like the only comparison that they got. And then people were pointing out that they compared Harper to LeBron like eight years ago or something like that. And it's like that shows that you don't get that you're, you're regional and you were trying to ride the coattails of a more popular national sport. And there's nothing, everyone loves LeBron. That's not the problem. Everyone, LeBron's great. Well, I don't know how you feel about LeBron since now he's on the Lakers, but every I like LeBron. <laughs> the problem is, I don't think MLB thinks that they have enough modern day star power anywhere to compare Tatis to a different guy.
2: That's not that's not true. <clears throat> like they know who they have, they know who they want to market, and you know they they understand that they have star power. So that that's not accurate, and that's from talking to people um at MLB. Like they they know who has a star power and they've thought of many ways to to get those players out there. But we have to, we have to keep in mind a couple of things. First within MOB, there isn't always a consensus about what's important. So the marketing team might feel one way and want to accomplish something else, but another department doesn't view it the same way. So they, that slows down the process. Like it feels like in many ways, um, and it shouldn't be like this because there should be more um, harmony. Not that there's discord, but like I just mean in terms of like synergy amongst departments. But MLB at times feels bureaucratic and has like processes where a lot of departments influence other departments and have to get approval from one department to like to like make make a move that impacts another department. So that's one thing. The other thing too, and we have to keep this in mind is that it takes two to tango. So what I mean by that is the players have to be willing to work with MLB to be a part of that marketing. And as we all know, the two sides aren't on the best uh, of terms. So there's a – the discord, and that's real discord, between the players and the league isn't just limited to CBA talks or like – COVID protocols or the universal DH it goes down to everything like there just isn't a lot of trust from the player side with the league so it's more difficult for people to get players to agree to promote the league when they're they don't trust the league like you know if you're not paying me what I deserve to be paid or you're not agreeing to the universal DH because you want to expand it play so you can make more money and I'm not getting a piece of that pie. Why in turn do I want to work with you to market me? Why would I even trust that you can market me in the right way? You know what I mean? So again, it's all of these things are more complicated than they look. It's not as simple as saying, well, why don't they just do it? You know, there's there's a lot of like layers to it that factor into all of these things. So, you know, players might not want to work with the league you know and, and and if they want to do their own marketing they want to do it outside of the league and then if the league can benefit from benefit from it great if it doesn't great from their perspective you know so it's not necessarily like a simple if we do this then X will happen you know and like going back to your your point about how they market tradition for me personally, I don't think tradition is going to get new fans in there because young fans are going to be like, that's old as hell. Like, why do I care about, for some people, why do I care about the Negro leagues? Why do I care about like players from back in the day? They don't play they're old, you know what I mean? Like you have to figure out ways to move away from the tradition and honor it, but like not let that define who you are as a league. And that happens way too much, you know, like, The Yankees are a team that rightfully so in many ways are built on tradition, but it doesn't need to be tradition all the time. You know what I mean? Like they have a really good team right now. Aaron Judge is really good right now. Gleyber Torres is really good right now. So it just feels convenient to always go back to tradition and how are we going to repackage the history of the league or the team rather than just saying – these are who, the guys that we have now. We're just going to push them out there as much as possible. You know, so, like, I don't think that we need to repackage tradition, acknowledge it, and move on. Like, it's, it's in the past for a reason. You know what I mean?
1: I think even connecting this back to the regionality aspect of it, you know, take a look at what the NHL has done over the past couple of years, where the NHL as a whole is very tradition-focused. You know, I think Sur- Founding the Stanley Cup is one of the richest tradition and traditions in modern sports, in you know the Big Five, and yet they've still done things to change the game itself. Whether it be you know three v three overtime, whether it be you know expanding to outdoor games like we saw yesterday in like Tahoe or you know the Winter Classics before then, they're doing things to attract fans and doing things to change the way the game is played so that it's more exciting and draws more people in while at the same time highlighting parts of their own tradition and their own past that highlights the game itself and doesn't detract from the daily you know slog of a 82 game season you know where teams are only in the northern part of the U.S. they're in Canada and we have you know Couple teams in Florida now. We have teams in Arizona. We have a team in Texas, Southern California. We're expanding south, but like in baseball, with you know Seattle, Toronto up north, that's not where it's naturally played, or it's not where it was originally. And there's still a lot of regional fan hotspots in the NHL that doesn't quite have the reach of the NBA, the reach of the NFL, excuse me. But the way they're expanding, they're doing it in a way that's highlighting themselves highlighting the game and it's working a hell of a lot better than what the MLB has been doing.
0: I, I, I struggle a lot with, when it comes to MLB, you know, kind of Randy, what you were just saying about what are the appropriate steps to take? Because there are no quick fixes and it's tough to tell directionally, how much of an impact certain decisions are going to make. And that's part of what makes it hard. And I think to your point about the players have to be in too, I agree. I also think it's going to be a lot more on MLB and ownership to earn the players' trust to cooperate because I think that's where a lot of it's broken down. Like the fact that the Dodgers didn't pay – their stadium employees over the summer, and David Price did, because they claimed that they were poor because of COVID, and then signed like everybody in free agency and are dishing out just in this next year an an additional, I think something like $60 million. So they clearly could have afforded to pay their stadium employees. The the Players Alliance uh, led by like Mookie Betts and CeCe Sabathia and Jason Hayward going about doing things. I think that has MLB backing and that's great, but it seems still like it's a lot more of a player driven focus and not so much MLB when MLB could have contributed a lot more to it and put their face a lot more on it instead of it being so much, I don't think MLB has curried favor amongst the players in the way that they should be. And they've been, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot a lot, especially when you get teams doing it even on the field, like with what the pirates are doing, which is we're going to find the floor that we can still be profitable at and then just ride that shit forever. Because they view it as an investment, and if the investment's going up, whether they're putting money in still or letting it passively accrue value, it's going up. So we don't care. And that taking that competitiveness away takes away jobs, or at least bidding on player contracts for value I don't think the players are just really into. Rightfully so.
2: Yeah, we're hitting at the same thing. I mean, I'm not saying the onus is on the players. I'm just saying, oh, right, 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 right. Players aren't like the players just aren't going to jump at it because of the opportunity is made available to them. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it is in how MLB operates and what's important to them and you know what what they value the most. And right now, they value you know looking at these players as assets and. They look at it as markets, basically, and profit generating machines. And it's not competition isn't the primary thing. And like promoting a game is not the primary focus, you know, like and a lot of it. And I had hinted at this like a couple months ago. A lot of it comes down to analytics. So for me, analytics are important as a fan to, to understand a game, understand performance, understand trends. But like analytics has defined the game across the board now. It's even in how like players are scouted, how teams run certain things, employees not getting paid. I bet you if this pandemic happened like in the 90s, those employees would have been paid because not everything is rooted through the eyes of efficiency, cost efficiency, market efficiency. It's all about efficiency so these teams can make profits. So it started on the field, but now it's filtered out to like how these businesses are run because they've made so much money because they've been able to become more efficient. You know what I mean? So like we talk about analytics in a very specific scope and like that tired ass conversation about scouting versus analytics and how do you evaluate players? But the bigger issue at hand is that it's filtered into how franchises operate. So the Dodgers are a prime example of that because they hired Andrew Friedman to rein back the spending because he was with the Rays who had to think of smart ways because they didn't want to spend money. Cause they were the de- the very definition of cheap. So then when he goes to like a big market team that has a ton of money, like they want to keep making money. That's why the Guggenheim group is in it. Ultimately is to, they have another, um, piece of their portfolio through the Dodgers. So if there's a way for Andrew Friedman to like teach them how to do it, they're gonna pick up those systems and then apply it to the whole the whole operation. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not just, it's not just like how analytics have impacted the on-field problem, but it's impacted in, in the entire industry. Um, and I don't think, I think that's one of the downsides of it. And we need to talk about that more because that's how these teams are are running the ship now. Every single team, like the Pirates, to the Dodgers, to the Yankees, to the Cubs. I mean, look at the Cubs. The Cubs are like a big-time real estate owner in Chicago, and they feel like they can't pay employees or pay you, Darvish. I mean, you they own the land around the stadium. Like, I mean, they're big-time real estate owners, and they just, you know, they're going to skim the fat, trim the fat wherever they can, and that's because – you know, they've been taught and have learned how to just be more cost efficient so they can maximize the money that they make. Well, and
0: I, I think this all kind of ties back into the systemic issue of baseball, which is that they care about whatever the narrow focus is that they care about, and then everything else they'll either ignore, which will lead to problems, systemic problems like the fact that they're our first female GM in the sport, 25 years of experience. Being in the Yankees front office back in the 90s, just getting her first shot this upcoming season. Uh, and the fact that they still don't have a lot of women in a lot of positions of authority. Are there women umpires? The NFL has as has, has women referees. Where and like, don't you dare tell just in me the Super Bowl. Yeah, and don't you dare tell me that there's not women who would love to ump in games. I mean, like, softball is one of the biggest sports in college. And I mean, like, I bet all those women would make great umps and refs, but that point to the side, like when it comes to scouting and and how players get to the draft, which I think leads to a lot of uh, MLB's issues with with the um, with getting black people into the sport. I don't think they care how the people got there, and the problem is how a lot of those players got there is because nowadays getting into baseball, competitive baseball, travel baseball, having the time and the money to do baseball is expensive. And it's going to lead to a lot more why it's the same hockey has this exact problem. And it's been reflected a lot earlier because um, hockey's been expensive to get into forever because you need skates, you need ice time, all that shit. Baseball didn't used to have quite so much of of the problem because it used to be a lot cheaper and there'd be more lots where you could play. But nowadays it's getting harder because it's getting more expensive. And the kids with money get to go do travel teams, which gets seen by more scouts, which gets you more opportunities in college and, it spirals down farther, and the problem I think baseball has is that they don't give a fuck how the players got to the draft. They care about who they're going to draft. Yeah, even
1: then, definitely one of the things I wanted to bring up. So thank you.
2: Yeah, I mean even then, I mean I don't want to sound like a like a uh, broken record or something, but you know, one way to address it is to invest in little leagues. You don't have to. Have, focus all it doesn't have to baseball youth baseball doesn't have to have this own version of aau tournaments and they don't need to have aau teams but their big brands have ended up dominating that youth space like they did in basketball and then uh you know under armor and others found a space for them to take advantage of and then they turned travel ball into this big business but one way to combat it again like you said if they cared enough And to really deal with the systemic side of it is build infrastructure in neighborhoods so that these big time travel ball um, tournaments, teams, summits, all that shit, like doesn't have as much value and influence in how youth players get into the game and stay in the game. You know, it really is about create it, it really could come down to just like access to land and space that these kids can play in. You know, if, if there are enough little leagues throughout the country and talented kids are playing in the little leagues, the scouts are going to go to the little leagues. They're going to go where they need to go. Um, or or like not necessarily little leagues, but you know what I mean? Like these these youth leagues at various age levels, if the kid's good enough, somebody's going to go watch them. Then they're going to go watch them in school and then they're going to evaluate them. But even with the evaluations, like even for the black kids that are – Um, on the radar it also comes down to how they're scouted you know Mm -hmm. again going back to analytics analytics doesn't really value athleticism it values production and it values past performance specific types of production right exactly so like athleticism cannot be quantified in the current analytic system there's no like wrc plus or exit velocity uh equivalent to determine how agile somebody is. Like, do they have the physical tools to do that? So now you're leaving it in the hands of scouts who generally have the same background, um, go to the same places, don't go to the neighborhoods that black kids uh, may be in, don't understand the cultures of those neighborhoods. So now they have these evaluations that have a lot of stereotypes baked into it or a lot of coded language baked into it. So they might say that this person, you know, is toolsy, but says nothing about his or her or his IQ level or understanding of the game, you know. as why there's we, no black catchers. Right, or pitchers. How many black pitchers are there, you know? Getting a like, few more now, but
0: it's still pretty sparse.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you see a couple more coming up in college, but, like, on the on the professional level, there aren't a ton of black pitchers. Devin Williams
0: just came up, but it's,
2: like, there's yeah, not a have, lot. Yeah, you have McKenzie McKenzie in Cleveland. You have Josiah Gray that's going to come up with the Dodgers soon. You have um, Hunter Green. Then you have the guys on the college level, like you said, like Rocker and Hill and some other guys. But, you know, it's it's so dominated by um, analytics. And then in turn, as a result, the things that are evaluated by scouts – they're not going to these places and don't care to understand the cultures that these kids come from. Like I played baseball. I played in college. Um, I had a child with the Kansas city Royals between my junior and senior year in uh, college. And when I played in school, I'm now I'm from the Bronx. I went to school in Pennsylvania, like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where the Amish people are only black kid on the team. I played baseball differently than the kids in Pennsylvania played. Like, What position were you center field? So like I played like a kid from New York, meaning I played with swag. I played hard. I knew the game like I was extremely competitive. I checked all those boxes, but I was athletic. And if I had to make a play a certain way, I was going to make it a certain way. I didn't you couldn't always rely on fundamentals. And I remember I made my freshman year. I made an over the shoulder catch. Right. That's the only way I could catch this ball, this kid drilled it to dead center field. Right.
0: Like a Willie Mays, you know,
2: basket, like the catch, catch? Yeah, yeah. Not like, you know, not obviously the same situation, but the same type of catch. Right. That was the only way I could catch it. Like there really was no other way to make the play. I come into the dugout. Most of my teammates are like giving me a pound, patting me on the back. I had a coach pull me over and say, we don't hot dog it here. And it was like, nobody's hot dogging it. That's how I can make, that's the only play I can make, the only way I can make the play, you know, If another kid on the team had made that same catch, and in fact, we had a senior who was like super athletic, really good, played center field. He was ahead of me when I was a freshman. He was making all kinds of catches. He was really good. He played football, really athletic, really good. He would make the same kind of catch. They didn't say a word to him, you know what I mean? And it was like, because the, the black kid from New York made a play that wasn't like the traditional fundamental way to make a play, there was an issue. You know, and like even with that team, I, I was a technically a transfer before I even like stepped foot on campus. Right. So I switched schools over the summer. So I was effectively a walk on. So when I walked on, they didn't have my medicals yet. So I couldn't do like football yet. I had to stand around and help out however I could. So I didn't meet any of the coaches on the staff outside of the the manager when I was looking at schools. So none of his coaches staff knew who I was, nothing. So I had one coach, I was helping him chart 60-yard uh, dashes for the players because that was the only thing I could do. I, help, I could help him on the side, stuff like that. And the coach turns to me and he goes, I heard you're really fast. And I'll go, well, how do you know? You We've just met. I, I'm not even allowed to run. So how would you have known that? Like, you didn't see me in high school. You didn't, like, scout me or anything. And he was like, oh, I just heard that you're fast. And it was like, Ah, you saw that I was fast just because I'm standing next to you as like the only black kid here. You know what I mean? So it's like those attitudes permeate throughout the sport of of baseball, like from the lower levels through the professional ranks, and it's hard to get beyond that. You know, it's institutional, it's systemic. So. A lot of it is getting people, hiring people that understand different cultures that that they're potentially being exposed to when they see these players. It's understanding that kids are from different backgrounds and like that might influence the way that they play or compete. You know what I mean? So it's like. Again, it's institutional. Is are you willing to make transformative change, or, or are you just willing to throw some money at it and say, "Oh, we built this academy, we built this like place in Compton." We
0: named it after Jackie Robinson.
2: Right. You know, yeah. it's. I mean, it's important. All that stuff matters. I'm not downplaying the importance of it, but it's not trans transformative change.
0: And it's not involved. transformational,
2: right? Yeah, and it's and 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 again. I don't want this all to be negative because I personally know people that work for MLB that are like very committed to making change. Like that's part of why they work at MLB and they've taken that uh, torch to make it better. Like there are many people there that are are aware and people that want to change for the Yankees fans out there. I know personally people that work for the Yankees, that actively want to make a difference and make a real change, like a real institutional change. Like I've had conversations with them. So there it's not this blanket statement across the board that everybody that works for major league baseball doesn't care. They're not invested. That is, that is the farthest from the truth, but it takes like people at the ownership level and the commissioner's office to really say, Here's the green light for you to do X, Y, and Z so that we can like do things differently. Until that happens. We're going to keep having this conversation, but there are plenty of people both that work for the league and work for these teams that want to do better. So it has to come from the top. And right now it has not come from the top as we, as we all can tell.
0: Sorry, Cor. I thought you were going to say something. You looked like you wanted
1: to talk. No, uh, No, nah, nah, it's waiting for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and and I think I think it's pretty under because no one no one gets into baseball, into working in baseball unless they have a connection to it and a passion for it. I would hope. And so I think when people complain, at least I know when I complain um, about MLB and baseball using those broad terms, I'm specifically targeting um, ownership and Rob Manfred. Because they know. <laughs> they know what they're doing. And, and, and that's what makes them the worst. <laughs> uh, because, man, I'm so jealous of the NBA with Adam Silver. And I'm not even going to sit here and tell you Adam Silver is the, mm-hmm. the, the best GM you, you could have. But he's so much better than Rob Manfred. Sure. Um, and ownership, having owners that care like you get out of the Padres right now at least with his willingness to spend on the field and the potential for actual change, you you wish you you could get those guys everywhere. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, about another uh, institutional thing, which is the minor leagues, because I feel like this is another thing that is so critical towards the sports growth that they just don't give a shit about because it doesn't make them enough money. And that's the fact that if you are a player who is fortunate enough to get drafted and you head to the minor leagues, get ready to be broke as shit for three to five years and then have your service time manipulated by the time you might end up being good enough to get to the MLB and have to enter into uh, contract negotiations that are awful for years. But that's the side. The idea that the minor leaguers get paid minimum wage seasonally, I think is one of the other main reasons that you see certain types of players that get that choose to go to the month. Like Kyler Murray. We talk about this example all the time on the show because it's such an easy example, had the choice of either slumming it in the minor leagues and having to be broke for a while, even though he had a big signing bonus or getting paid $30 million a year outright, um, in the NFL draft, and it's like, can you can you blame them? NBA players get paid more in the G League than minor league baseball players that get paid in the minor leagues. And you might end up being able to get out of the G League in maybe a couple of years, maybe maybe three or four, and you might never make it out of the minor leagues. Which How is much money do you make on endorsement
1: contracts as a minor league center fielder?
0: Right, and that's the thing is if if you don't have the money. To or don't have the ability to rely on a signing bonus or your parents, how are you going to pick, if you have options, even if it's a slimmer option in a different sport, how do you pick baseball? And I think that's what turns a lot of people off from even wanting to enter the system. In addition to all the problems we mentioned before you even get to that point, is that if you have a a 6% shot of making a G League NBA team, or a 10% shot of making a minor league team, how did you pick the minor leagues? They're so much worse for players.
2: I don't know.
1: You know, obviously it's not the same trade-off for every player. Not every player is going to be given the opportunities of a Kyler Murray where you can play Division I football at a blue blood like Oklahoma and also get drafted in the MLB by you know a team like the Oakland A's. But – it doesn't have to be that that high of a level for this, you know, to occur, this choice to have to go down. Like how many high school players do you know that, you know, when they got to junior year of high school decided, "Hey, I, you know, need to pick one, which one's going to take me to college, which one's going to, you know, give me the opportunity to succeed and do well and they're surrendering the sport." And, you know, with something like baseball where you look ahead to the future and see how many people are in the minor leagues, how many people talk about how awful it is being in the minor leagues. And you look at what happens for, you know, college athletes at a D1, you know, FPS, FCS level. It's, I'll tell you what, like the PR for football is a hell of a lot easier, you know, trying to sell that to kids than it is to, you know, baseball coaches and guys trying to sell them on, a grueling long summer schedule and and not a whole lot of hope of big money post-education
2: i also think sometimes you know if you have a chance to play a professional sport you're going to do what it takes to play that professional sport so that means you're going to slum it in the minor leagues and that's your only path to becoming a professional athlete i feel like most people are going to take that chance and what gets you to that level at least to the, like the minors is his belief that you could be part of that small group that gets to the majors. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, the, the system sucks, but I mean, it is what it is. And if, if guys want to pursue their dream, they have to go through it. To me, the, the bigger issue with the minor leagues is cutting the teams down and like impacting the communities and, you know, legitimately cutting out revenue for these small towns across America cutting down opportunities for these guys to get in the, just to get in the door, you know, like less Mm -hmm. rounds in the draft, less opportunities to to give yourself a chance. What if you're just some, some reliever that might actually could develop into, you know, an effective major league reliever or or like a, you know, a guy that's on the, the bullpen shuttle, but you were drafted in like the 40th round or something, you know, you don't, you might not have that chance anymore. You know, if they cut down the drafts and cut down the affiliates and then Major League Baseball is basically regulating how minor league baseball is run. You know, that that seems like an even bigger issue because all the points you guys bring up are are totally true and totally accurate. And then on top of that, you just cut it down the amount of access there is to even get your foot in the door. You know, like not everybody's a two sport athlete. You might just be a really good baseball player. But maybe not good enough to be in those top rounds. So you need that back end back end of the draft. You need that random affiliate to get on somebody's radar. You know what I mean? So it's it's all the things that you mentioned, and then just this willingness to just cut cut these affiliates out and represent that Astros plan. Again, going back to cost efficiency, you know, and and being trying to be trying to outsmart the competition, you know, that's that that plan came from the Astros who as we all know were on the cutting edge of um not Trashstand using Diana. human Yeah, well besides that, you know, <laughs> like not using human beings to run a franchise, basically. I mean, they were cutting scouts out left and right and they're basically like until Luna left, they were trying to automate baseball in many ways. And that trickled down to the life and existence of the minor league. So yeah, they're making it way more difficult for themselves than they need to. Like, it's just, you know, the priorities are money, essentially profit, like promoting the game. I mean, that's you know, the game comes secondary now.
0: And and one of the things is just, it's a real quick side note that gets lost in the cutting of the minor league teams is also the big detrimental effect it's gonna have on local small businesses. Um, that relied on a lot of the foot traffic or sometimes even travel expenses that came with the minor league systems. That was one of the big things with the Negro Leagues is that a lot of the um, most successful black owned businesses were black owned businesses that ran in towns that had Negro League teams because when players would come they would stay at black owned hotels, they would eat at black owned restaurants and it led to a lot of uh, thriving small business in those communities. And you're gonna lose a lot of, uh, to a much lesser extent, you're gonna lose a lot of small business foot traffic and revenue in towns that had minor league baseball teams that relied on families going out to get $8 tickets to the local team for a Sunday afternoon. And then not being able to get, you know, they're not now, now they're not out to go get dinner afterwards or whatever it might be. Um, which is another real shame because that's again, part of the community aspect or the um, regional aspect of baseball is that it kind of ha- it has those things in it. Um, that it just doesn't seem to give a shit about
1: but
0: mm. yeah, it's a, it's a it's real lovely. treat.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, now we're, we're, we're running low on time. Cause I know you said you had a heart out uh, at two and we don't want to chew up too much of your time. So final question for you uh, before we kind of get going, if you were made the commissioner of baseball, first thing you would do number one on the list,
2: Wow, that's a great question. Get rid of the luxury tax.
1: Would you replace it with a hard salary cap?
2: Hell no. Spend as much as you want. Put okay. in a floor. <laughs> Please.
1: Nah,
2: just Yeah, I mean, a floor, yeah, but like no, no restrictions on spending. You know, like uh, a floor can come along with that, so you know that you're guaranteeing something, but to me, like, I, you know, when people talk about, um, like, the lack of spending and stuff, sometimes I think that we ignore that revenue sharing has a lot to do with this shit. Like, teams are getting money just for existing. Get rid of all of that. Get rid of that and get rid of the arbitration system. Those would be the two things that I would do. You know, like, make this more of a free market across the board. If you want to win and compete and, like, make money... Spend money to get these players and now you can't uh th- these two things probably go hand in hand. Get rid of the luxury tax and get rid of the arbitration system. So that Did you I, still
0: keep six years of control or nah, would you lower that
2: too? No, nah, I would lower it to like two years. Okay. Because because now if you have good players, you have to pay them. Like you, you you're not afforded this opportunity to have this long period of time where you can just basically take advantage of a player's prime years, you know what I mean? So if if I'm a team, like, let's say, let's say the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers were able to take advantage of, like, good drafting, but they didn't have to pay any of these guys. Like, they don't really have mm-hmm. to pay Cody Bellinger. They're not really paying uh, Max Muncy or uh, Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller. They're not paying these guys. So what happens now to the Dodgers if after two years and Bellinger's second year, he's MVP of the league, now what? What are you going to do? You're either going to put up or shut up. You know, you're either going to lose them or you're going to start paying these guys what they deserve to be paid. But open it up so there's no luxury tax. So, like, you have the chance to do that and that these guys can get paid sooner. Get get rid of revenue sharing because these teams are just making money simply for existing and start paying them. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's a radical idea, one that will never happen. But it just feels like, limiting spending while also letting teams hold on to guys for six years without having to pay them is the reason for why teams don't spend. They don't have to like, they'll never have to. And then when, you know, the, the arbitration system is once you get past those years, you you're old or there's some, you know, now all of a sudden it's like the NFL draft where you have all these warts when like literally six months ago, you didn't have any warts. And now you have a whole bunch of warts. You know, so that would be my first thing: is open it up so these teams are forced to spend and have to spend sooner, and then see what happens.
1: Fully on board. I think that would immediately shut down the yes, Pirates as a team. Just <laughs> shut their doors.
2: It, they'd end up in Portland or something.
0: Yeah, and then that's it. Could could oh. could live with
2: through all oh. those regrets. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: although then if they're in portland who, who do all the oregonians root for if they're not going to root for the rays
2: true true everyone
0: true. everyone in portland roots for the rays i'm convinced <laughs> it's, it's the hipster team it's the official team of hipsterdom yeah um, but anyway <laughs> anyway we know you gotta get going um really appreciate you stopping by is there anything um you want to plug anything that you're working on uh you wanted to shout out before we get going
2: uh, now, you can just follow me on Twitter at PamSun. You can follow our Yankees blog, views from 314 Uh Working on stuff, but I, I'm not allowed to talk about it yet. They have me on top secret. Yeah, they made me sign stuff, so I <coughs> can't say it yet. Oh, but, so it's legit, uh, it's official. Yeah. 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 Consequences.
1: It's okay. You could tell us. Nobody's going to listen <laughs> to this anyway.
2: Maybe I'll tell you off air or something. So, uh, yeah, but thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on.
0: All right, that was our uh, talk with Randy Wilkins. Again, we want to thank him so much for coming on the show. Um, you can check him out on Twitter at Pamson p a m s s o n. You can also check out his website, where a lot of his work is. Check out a lot of his videos. His most recent one with these is Mero, Very Rocks. Um, he also has uh, a few other uh, works that were done within the last year that are very impactful um, American Noir, uh video about Jackie Robinson. Um, so definitely check that out. Same website, donate domain name is the same as his Twitter handle, www.pamsun.com. So again, thank you to Randy for coming on the show. Really appreciate it.
1: You think his mom's name is
0: Pam. Huh. <laughs> um, we were, uh, now, we know that the Wentz trade went down the day after we fucking recorded that goddamn podcast. where we talked about where quarterbacks might go in the overall quarterback market, of course. Um, but again, we're going to save that for a broader discussion uh, on a Thursday episode. So check out the Thursday episode to hear us talk about uh, the Wentz, Colts, Eagles, all those parties trade then. Um, but uh, until then, uh, until Thursday... You
1: all have a good one